Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. We are almost there, but old Pastor Ali has been working hard these last five weeks and um, I hope you've been enjoying it I hope you've got loads from it I hope you're growing spiritually because of it Um, but let's get him up now for part five thank you thank you right thank you for the solo Steve we've done that At the end of Jesus' three-and-a-half ministry here on earth, he had his disciples in one room, and he did what we just did. He took what we now know as the Lord's Supper. He initiated it there. He opened up to his disciples on that night, and he said something really beautiful to them. He said this in John 15, 15. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Friends talk, right? You might have a lot of friends. You might have just a few friends. But friends talk, and that's what Jesus did. He started to disclose the secrets of the kingdom of God to his disciples. And he does that to all of us today through his word you've probably got hundreds of friends on facebook but are they all real friends i think a lot of them might be more acquaintances or maybe somebody you bumped into in a club 17 years ago Uh, but there's probably only a select few that you would really class as real friends friends that you could share anything with and that's what jesus does with us just a few short verses after this proclamation of Jesus he adds a little perspective he says look I call you friends because I'm disclosing everything to you but he says remember what I told you a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me Jesus said they will persecute you also if they obey my teaching they will obey your teaching so he's saying I'm, I'm your friend and then a few breaths later he's saying don't forget that I'm your master as well I call you friends but you're my servants as well so he's not deleting one although it might sound like that he's, he's adding to it and you've probably seen a little, the little a there in blue and that refers back to when he says remember what I told you it refers back to a couple of chapters before in the same book John 3 13 16 it says Jesus says you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you should also wash one another's feet I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you very truly I tell you no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So although we're friends of God, we're still expected to live a life of a servant. In fact, just before Jesus declared that he called them friends, 
he actually said this, John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. What kind of friend says that? Have you got any friends who come to you and say, well, we're only going to be real friends if you do what I tell you to do? It doesn't sound like the friendship that we're used to, does it? Lots of Christians major on the fact that they are friends of God. And although that's a true fact, the Bible actually doesn't major on it. In fact, this instance, I believe, is the only instance where Jesus calls his disciples friends. Yes, we are his friends, but more so, as we'll find out in a minute, we are his servants. Even the great apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who knew that billions of people literally would hear these words, he introduces himself in the letter to the Romans as a servant of Christ. We can read it on the screen. Paul, Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ, is introducing himself, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. He's called to be an apostle, but like every one of us who are in Christ, we are first and foremost his servant. He starts, Paul, a servant. So yes, we're a friend of God in that we have a personal relationship with him. His spirit lives inside of us and reveals to us all things. We have the mind of Christ. And we've talked about the last few weeks about how we have the fullness of God living inside of us. But in this relationship, we serve him. Why? Because he's not just our personal savior. He's our Lord. That's why we serve him. He's our Lord and our master. We don't have an equal relationship like you may have with your best friend. We don't have that with God. We have a relationship, but it's not equal. Remember, no servant is above his master. Paul doesn't introduce himself here to the Romans as a friend of Christ. And you'd be totally forgiven, totally forgiven, for thinking that he introduces himself as a servant of Christ. But he doesn't. Now, you're probably looking at the screen, trying to help me out, thinking, Ali, you've got that wrong. You've got yourself mixed up. It says on the screen there, Paul, a servant of Christ. But he doesn't. Intrigued? This is today's big idea. This is tonight. This is what I need you to go home with and think about. Don't just take what I say to you. Take this back to the Lord and ask him to reveal to you the truths found in his scripture. Why am I saying and contradicting what it says there? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. I'll tell you exactly why. Because if you look at the Greek word for servant, it's a Greek word which is called doulos. Doulos does not mean servant. It means slave. Basically, given that when the scriptures had, un when they've undergone 
major translations over the last few hundred years, the abuses of slavery have been a big issue as they still are today. They've been a sensitive subject, and rightly so. So the translators instead took the decision, not every group of translators, but most of them, to use a similar word, a similar word, Greek word, to portray the apostles' relationship with Christ. And that word is diakonos, which means servant. But the word here is doulos, and it means slave. And when I talk about the abuses of slavery, I say that on purpose because the Bible doesn't actually say anything pro or against slavery. It just takes it as a societal factor. Now, it's at this point in the sermon that you have the potential to either miss the gem in this message or stay with me and let the scriptures reveal to you a precious truth. Let me help give you some context here just for a few minutes because it's important that we see through a different lens in Jesus day one in five people would be a slave in the Roman Empire so if you just look now at two people to your left two people to your right or across the room then one of you would be a slave if you were around 2,000 years ago we think of slavery in terms of the Europeans and Americans capturing Africans to do forced labor. But at the time of the Gospels, it wasn't a product of racism. It was more a way of life. Yes, there were abuses taken, just as there are for lots of good things in life. Think money, sex, or power. They're the big three concepts in the Bible that God implements for our good, but because of sin and selfish desires, they've been perverted and repackaged in a way almost unrecognizable sometimes from what God originally intended. Think money. You can sing as much as you want. Love makes the world go round and around. But actually, you'll probably find out it's more money that makes the world go round. We need to earn an honest wage to buy the things that we need. Then If we didn't have that, the world would collapse. Yet the Bible tells us that it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Because it's from that place that we see greed, pride, and insecurity prevail. Then sex, instigated by God to bring pleasure and intimacy between husband and wife, and to populate the earth with people created in the image of God. We only have to look at the problems that are caused by lust unfaithfulness adultery and pornography to see how that's been totally messed up and then there's power authority is a good thing and needed in society without it there would be chaos and disorder it's necessary for nations workplaces and marriages but when you get corrupt governments overpowering bosses and abusive husbands That's when everything starts to go south. So some things in the Bible are really hard to get our heads around, not least in a modern, prosperous Western culture. And slavery is one of the biggest, I think. In studying this message this week, I've probably ended up with more questions than I have answers, but I was determined not to shy away from it. And I wanted to get underneath 
mainly the difference between these two words because I believe they tell us and teach us something fundamental which I believe is missing in the church today and I'm not suggesting for one minute that I have all the answers but we can seek together tonight even in this half an hour to have a better understanding of what's going on slavery in its earliest biblical forms was related to both power and money you'd normally end up being a slave because of poverty you might rightly have owed somebody money and not been able to pay it due to circumstances whatever they may it may be uh, it might be unfortunate circumstances it might be stuff that you've got yourself into through laziness whatever who knows whatever it may be but if you couldn't pay someone the money that you owe them and if you didn't have produce to give them then the only currency left would be a human being and that's mainly where slavery comes in there's, there's another way in the old testament that slavery uh you could you could end up being a slave and that's if if you were a thief and if you were caught thieving you would have to pay back the person you thief from multiple times over and if you didn't have that then you would have to give yourself to that person so you can start to see that slavery was very different in terms of the lens that we might look back on in history today and that makes it difficult for us to understand it in the context of what's happening in the bible but let's be absolutely clear about one thing the bible is totally against the abuses found in slavery 100 percent. in fact in the new testament we can look and we can see that slave traders amongst others are listed by by timothy by paul in his letter to timothy amongst other serious sinful people and activities we'll read it now so you can see it uh, 1 timothy 8 10 says we know that the law is good if one uses it properly we also know that the law is made not for the righteous but for lawbreakers and rebels the ungodly and sinful the unholy and irreligious for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers for the sexually immoral for those practicing homosexuality for slave traders and liars and perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine even in the old testament right at the beginning when god was laying uh, the law down to set a freed people uh, that out of slavery in in egypt and having to learn a whole new lifestyle as a community of millions together he says in exodus 21 this is how serious it was for god he said kidnappers must be put to death whether they are caught in possession of their victims or have already sold them as slaves if you took somebody else unjustly and uh, criminally cruelly took them and sold them god says right this is so serious this is the the death penalty is on this one that's how much god is against the abuse of slavery and even when slaves were in place in society back then god gave rules to make sure that they were protected and cared for listen to this deuteronomy 15 verse from verse 12 if any of your people hebrew men or women sell themselves to you and serve you for six years in the seventh year you must let them go free and when you release them do not send them away empty-handed 
Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. This is why I give you this command today. So masters of slaves weren't able to keep the possession of a slave for over six years. So there was always freedom at the, uh, at the, at the light at the end of the tunnel, if you like. It was always on the horizon. And when the time came, listen to this, masters were instructed not to treat their slaves, uh, were, were told to treat their slaves fairly and liberally. And even, listen to this, this, this might blow your mind, even in that, the slaves could have been that well treated that they actually loved their master and could want to commit to them for life. Now that's a totally different way of looking at slaves and contrary maybe to a lot of our understanding of what slavery means. Let's read this for ourselves. Exodus 21. But the slave may declare... I love my master, my wife, and my children. I don't want to go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God. Then his master must take him to the door or doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. That's a sharp instrument. After that, the slave will serve his master forever. And here lies a beautiful picture of what I believe God wants us to to see in how we can serve him as Lord and Master. Not just him call us friends, but we serve him as Lord and Master. We too should want to serve him forever. Amen? And just as though the Master would pierce his slave's ear with a sharp instrument on a wooden doorpost to identify them as being a permanent resident of that household member of that home family so too we should be identified as brothers and sisters of Christ the Christ who was pierced by nails in a wooden cross in public what a beautiful picture now I give all that context which is just a flyover of biblical slaves and masters but the point is that you have to see past the lens of abuse remember that is so wrong God thought it was wrong back then he thinks it's wrong now it's a serious matter but we need to see something as the phrase goes don't throw the baby out with the bathwater." there's a gem in here that we all need to see. So we're going to go full circle right back to the Bible translators. I wanted to spend a good few minutes on that to help you to understand what's happening in the Bible in this area of slaves and masters. Instead of using the proper translation of doulos to slave, we see that the word diakonos is used, which actually means servant. So we're going back to that. In fact, if you can just go back to that Roman scripture, I don't know whether it's on there or not. In fact, we'll... we'll We'll come to it in a minute. Keep, keep that one up. Because here, we can actually see, this is a verse where we can see the two different words, Greek words, in the same couple of, portion of Scripture. Whoever wants to be a leader among you, Jesus says, must be your diakonos. 
your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must be the doulos, the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I've taken a long, long time there to come to my sermon title, which is a question, are you slaves or servants? Or are you a servant or a slave? Are you a diakonos or a doulos? Just as we saw that the concept of being a friend of God is pretty unrepresented in Scripture, being a slave of God is actually written about quite a lot, even more so than a servant. Let's look at that, some stats really quickly. Diakonos is actually used 27 times, only 27 times across 11 of the 27 New Testament books. This is the original Greek written by the authors. But doulos is used 120 times across 21 of the 27 New Testament books. Now, translations obviously come up with different words, but in the main, servant is chosen over slave, as we've already said, because of the sensitivity of the issue of slavery. But we, could, but we can actually find literal translation. So taking this scripture of Paul saying, I am a slave of Christ, we can actually see that. I don't know whether any of you read the New Living Translation. It's a relatively new one. Kate's waving it in the air. That's one of my favorites. And um, it actually translates this correctly. Romans 1.1 in the New Living Translation, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. If that comes up, just give it another click. There you go. Paul, a slave. That's the literal correct translation. But it's not just Paul. Even the great apostle Paul, I mean, that makes a statement in himself that he starts, even before he calls himself apostle, he says, I'm a slave. And it, but it's not just Paul. All the other authors seem to follow suit. So we can look at Peter. He introduces his letter. Simon Peter, he introduced himself as a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. James himself says, I am a slave of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even the gospel writer, John, as he writes about himself in the letter of Revelation, he says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, speaking of himself, he says, to his slave, John. And Jesus himself uses the slave master illustration in many many, many of his parables. We haven't even got time to, to, to look at even a few of them. But he points out how the, he uses the, the slave-master relationship of the day, and he relates it to us as slaves of God, the master. And when you look at all those parables now through a new lens, it's actually amazing. It puts a different context into that. And that's what we're just going to finally try and, and land in on 
this evening. Let me give you one example, because this problem, this one makes you think more than, <coughs> excuse me, oh dear, little frog in my throat, more than anything else. One of the most famous scriptures, uh, certainly the parables, but probably one of the most famous scriptures as well, is found in Matthew 25. And um, it's, it's, it's the parable, and you'll probably may be able to just, just quote it, the ending of it. It's the parable of the talents, and Jesus is giving out his rewards, and he says, well done, good and faithful sorry been saying it wrong all these years well you've been saying it right because you're quoting the bible and and we understand now why it's been put like that but actually actually here's what go to the the holman christian standard bible to get the exact translation says this his master said to him well done good and faithful slave you were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. When we serve God as master, that's when we really enter in to his joy. So we're slaves, but we serve him. So my whole proposition here is that we're not first and foremost slave, uh, servants, but we are slaves who by nature serve him. And I think it's really important that we have that the right way around. Let's just put this all into quick context. Let me give you three statements. First of all, and we haven't measured on this, we've kind of taken this as read, and in week one of this series, we talked about how we are saints of God, how his spirit lives inside of us. We have the fullness of Christ, the same power that raised Christ from the grave is living in us. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus because God's perfected spirit is in us. Is in us. When we accept Jesus as our master, as our savior and our master, our Lord, then we have the righteousness of Christ living inside of us. So with that, we are sons and daughters of the living God. We are children of God who are loved. That's our position in God. Galatians 4, says, uh, 4 7 says like this, you are no longer a slave. And now I don't know, and I don't want to mix your thinking up here. I don't know whether that's the scriptures are saying you're no longer a slave of sin or whether it's just emphasizing the child element uh, you'll have to work that one out I'm not too sure but it says but you're no longer a slave but God's child and since you are his child God made you also an heir so our position in Christ is as we looked at in week one we are saints we're sons and daughters we're children of God the next statement is this that we, there is a privilege that we've just looked at tonight right at the top of the sermon we are friends God calls us friends uh, and, and with that comes intimacy. And that's what this whole series is about. It's getting more intimate with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, it's quoting the Old Testament. And it says, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. That was the old covenant way. You couldn't, in the old covenant, you couldn't fully understand what was going on but Paul says to the Corinthians these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit so when the spirit comes in 
We are positioned as children of God, but we also have the privilege of knowing all things. This is, this is brilliant news for us. But then here I want to bring, this is where the whole sermon message right now is taken is, is that there is a practice, there's an outworking of those two truths. And that is, first and foremost, that we are a slave who serves our master. 1 Peter 2.16 puts it succinctly. It says, live as free people. This is God speaking to you and to me. Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as God's slaves. Live as God's slaves. So are you a servant or are you a slave? Actually, you could argue that we're both, and I would be, I'd be fine with that. But I don't see it that we're primarily servants. As I said, and I want to get this point, this is the main point. I believe that we're slaves who by nature serve God. And you might be saying, Ali, it sounds like semantics to me. But I believe there's a significant underlying truth that God is wanting to impart into our spirits tonight. You see, if we're only servants then we could justifiably serve both God and things of the world. Jesus addresses this in Matthew 6.24. But just hold your thoughts on this familiar passage if you know it already. But let's read it anyway. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which is money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever else is valued more than God. You can't serve two masters. But you can. This is why this translation, and maybe familiar to us, the language of not serving two masters, kind of rubs against what I'm saying. But the translation should be, Jesus actually said, and again, if you go to the Holman Christian Bible, it says, no one can be a slave of two masters. You see, you can serve two masters. If you've got a day job and a night job, then you've got two masters. You're serving them. But when you're a slave, you are totally owned by the master you can't be shared you are wholly owned as Christians if you're in Christ tonight you've been blood bought you've been redeemed is a bible word you've been bought you are God's own possession you can't as a slave you can't have two masters. There's only one person who's bought you. I'm not talking about your, your, your carnal life, which we've been cut off from. I'm talking about the life in Christ that we're called to, that we want to be committed to, that we will give, our, give ourselves to wholeheartedly. 1 Corinthians 6.19, you are not your own property. You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made 
his own. See, if you've just got a serving identity attitude, you can serve on a team at the Rock Church, but then you could go out of these doors and be subservient to a carnal habit or an ungodly attitude or whatever it may be, an addiction. You can do both. You can come and you can wholeheartedly serve Christ and worship him in that way, but then you can also be a servant to the things that are ungodly. But you can't be a slave to both. You're only a slave to one person in Christ, and that's our Lord. Let me finish quickly with three benefits of us being a slave, and I encourage you to go away and to do some homework and to allow, because this is, this this is a big shift in thinking for some of us who have thought a certain way for a number of years. And I'm not wanting to necessarily undo the learnings that you've had about being a servant because I don't think they're wrong in principle, but actually I'm just trying to readjust and bring in this slave attitude, understanding biblical teaching over the top of it. And I believe it will radically change your attitude to God, your life as a Christian, and I believe God will work through it. I really do. Here's three things that I want you to take away really quickly. Um, benefits, outworkings, fruit of the understanding that we are slaves who serve God. First of all is that we become more holy. Romans 6.22 says, But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is everlasting life eternal life when you're a slave you become more holy number two humility philippians 2 6 to 8 talking of jesus says though he was god he did not think of equality with god as something to cling to instead he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. When you're a slave, there's no room for pride. There's no room for my agenda because you're following the master. You're doing what he wants you to do. Your will is not on the daily agenda. It's his will that matters. And then third and finally, another H, just so I look like a good preacher. Ephesians 6, verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. God wants us to revere him. Uh, well, that's what that's what slaves that's the attitude a slave would take of his master when I started thinking about this I I woke up one morning this week just gone by the messages are always in my head coming up to a Sunday when I'm preaching and I just woke up with the thought I must have been doing some study the night before and, and, and I woke up with an amazing feeling and attitude as a slave I was thinking about this more 
And it's like, I'm safe. I'm secure. Um, I'm serving God. This is, I just felt like, I don't need to worry about anything. And sometimes we can think, well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a slave and even a servant and uh, I'm, I'm not empowered. I'm totally empowered because the power of God is covering me. I'm in, I'm in his ownership. He's looking after me. Absolutely amazing. Let me finish as well, just one last thing with this analogy. There's several lights around this room which you've seen. And uh, some we use and some we don't use. Uh, these stage lights, for instance, that, that, that all these lights are wired to a laptop behind the curtain here. Um, you could do like a Wizard of Oz thing and pull it back and there'd be somebody on it. No, there's not. Um, they're actually not working very well, which is by the by. The by. But there's a laptop and they're all wired. There's, there's this one here we have for when there's discos and parties and that's got all like lasers and stuff like that. And obviously we don't use that. Hey, we could use that during worship. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Um, but there's something intrinsically different about these lights. I, I, don't, I don't even know whether you can see, but some of these lights, have, I, I can see, probably you won't be able to see it, but that light there's got, they've all got a red LED display on them and they've got display because you've got the computer settings, but you've got the settings on the actual units. And all the lights have to be set and coded. They have a unique number and that number goes onto the laptop, stored on the laptop. So when you press a button on the laptop and it says, I want this lighting fixture with this number to perform these colors or pattern or whatever, that's fine. And, and I, want, I want to put it to you like this, that God is operating the software of our lives. He's, he's He's commanding certain things, right? For the analogy. We're like the lighting fixtures. And the interesting thing about the lighting fixtures is that you have to set them manually at a certain mode. Okay, there are several modes. I'm not going to talk to you them all about them all, but there's, there's a few key ones. And the one that you want to talk to the laptop is a mode called DMX. It doesn't matter what it's called, but it's called DMX. And you have to have DMX software on to talk to it, so they're talking the same language. And then you have to wire them one to the other. You do that, and then you're laughing. And I think that's kind of like our lives in Christ. And interestingly, interestingly, there's a, there's a mode on there which is a manual mode. And that means you're doing your own thing. And I think as Christians, we can... Even as Christians, we can go into manual mode, but there are millions of people in our nation who have just disconnected them, don't, don't want a connection with God, and they're happy just to be on manual mode. It doesn't matter. They don't want to know what God will. They're, they're just doing their own thing. There's even a mode there called show, S-H-O-W, show mode. And that's where there are pre-planned, pre-programmed patterns and colors. And they can look great. And I think that can be like us as Christians. We can be on show mode. We come in church on Sunday, our Sunday best, or even we can be serving God, but actually we're not talking to him. We're not relating to him. We, we, we don't trust him. We're just serving. We're on show mode. 
So DMX mode, we're connected and whatever Christ says, the idea is that we stay connected as best we can. We don't always get it right, do we? But we want to do what he tells us to do. But for me, that's a bit like the analogy that we looked at tonight of being a servant rather than a slave. Because these blue lights that are on now, and they can be different colors, you know, but these eight lights, four on each side, they're actually, rather than just like a wire going out to the floodlight, and there's some other lights you don't know about there, and the wire going up there, these have got one wire, and they actually go right, not that it matters, but for my head, they actually go up and over there on the gully, and they go across there, and there's a bit of trunking under the light there, back there, you can see, and they go all the way around. They're all connected. Now, this is the thing I just want to leave you with. That is the first one in the chain. It's called a daisy chain. That's the first light in the chain. That's not on DMX mode. That's on a mode, get this, called master mode. And each of the other seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, are on a mode, you guessed it, called slave mode. Whatever that one light does, the others automatically repeat because they're all connected and they're all in slave to master mode. They don't have to think what's going on in the computer. They just copy that. The master mode, as you guessed it, is Jesus. Where all the other ones is tied in, chained, daisy chained in to Jesus. And that's why I think this is a beautiful model of New Testament, New Covenant Church, because the Bible says that Jesus, that Bible says that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, all the things that God wants us to do in the program, wants us to be good, wants to be nice, wants us to do this, do that. Because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. So all that programming in there is all put into that one master light. So all we've got to do is just look at Jesus Read the Gospels, read the Old Testament, which all points to Jesus, and look at the New Testament, which most of it points back to him, and just think, right, I'm going to do what Jesus does. And when we don't do it, unlike the other lights, which are directly connected to the, the instructions and commands of God, like in the Old Testament, if you didn't do the old, the law was put there to show us how bad we were. That's what the Bible says, to show us that we can't do this on our own because we disconnect, we, the, the lights malfunction, we, we get condemnation and all these things and, and then we have to repent and, and kill some goats and stuff like we found out last week in the tabernacle. We have to do all that system, but now God says, I'm putting all that into Jesus. There's no condemnation if you get it wrong. And if you do get it wrong, just go back to the master, plug yourself in, make sure you're connected and go again. It takes the pressure off us massively. But we have to know that Jesus is our master. We are his beautiful slaves who love him, want to be with him forever, want to be identified with him through the, through the crucifixion and resurrection. We have to carry our cross daily, and it's a wonderful life. I don't know whether anybody knows what I'm talking about in this place. 
I wonder right now, if God has spoken to your heart, and I don't mean your blood pump, I mean the heart of you, your spirit, the part of you that got born again. If God has spoken to you through his word and brought a conviction, brought an affirmation in your heart that you know there's a shift that God wants you to make as a result of his word tonight. If that's you, I want to ask you to stand up to identify yourself with your master. This might not be everybody, but if that's you, just stand to your feet right now. Don't do it just because it's a good idea, but do it because God has spoken to you. And maybe you're one of those people who are not haven't been lined up with the master, but you've been on manual mode a bit as a Christian. If that's you, you, you stand up as well. I believe God's going to really help us tonight. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to pray. Let's, let's, all, let's all stand to our feet. We're going to worship the Lord, but I just want to pray for us all before we have our final song tonight and hand back to Kate. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. <coughs> we recognize your presence here in this room. We thank you for your word that you have brought to us tonight. Thank you that you call us friends. Thank you that we are sons and daughters of the living God. Thank you we get to serve you. We don't have to serve you, we get to serve you. But we recognize tonight, and we want to push this, the seed of your word deep down into our spirits and know without a shadow of a doubt that we are slaves to Christ tonight. And that we push this seed down so the enemy will not come and take it away from us as we leave this place. But we, we, we push it down with our spiritual thumbs, as it were, into the soil of our hearts. And we recognize like never before tonight in this place, that we put our allegiance, we, we, we pierce ourselves against the doorframe of heaven tonight, publicly amongst us all, amongst the heavenly hosts, and declare that we are yours and you are ours. Amen.